everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Kindest Regards. Thank you so much for listening in. I have a little bit of a different episode for you today. I absolutely love doing the three-segment kind of structure for most episodes because I know that you guys love deep diving into certain topics and when we can really flesh things out. But every week or so, I love putting on the Kindest Regards pod a little questions box and get ideas from you guys about topics that you would love to hear on the podcast. And along with those boxes, I get some great suggestions, of course, but I also get more, I don't know, like less deep questions, but that still pop up a lot and that you guys would like answers to. And I also put up a question box for questions about me, things that you want to know about me and my life. And I did do that on the Kindest Regards pod Instagram as well, but there were a lot that went unanswered because obviously it is hard to get to everything. So in short, I thought that this episode would be more of a Q&A style podcast. So I'm just going to run through questions a little bit more quick fire, try and cover a bunch more topics than normal rather than deep diving into three. I'm going to go zigzagging all over the place and trying to answer as many questions as possible. Uh, I'm going to do this fully off the cuff. I have screenshot a lot of the responses and questions in the question boxes, and I'm literally just going to swipe through, pick ones that look interesting. I haven't prepared any answers or dot points to these questions, and we're just going to roll with it. So stay tuned. Okay, diving straight into it. I've literally just got my phone in front of me. I have a question from Georgia. That says how to avoid dealing with your burnout at the end of your degree and transitioning to full. I assume that means full-time work. I have sort of a unique, well, not unique. I know a lot of people would do things this way as well, but it's probably less common to work full-time and study full-time for the majority of your degree which is basically what I did. So I didn't have that transition from full-time study to full-time work. And I imagine that that is absolutely a big culture shift. If you aren't used to full-time work, it can be overwhelming. And I completely understand that, but I do still feel like I have dealt with burnout in my own way, despite not doing it in that structure. I feel like I've gotten burnout in roles before in my job. I do think I can attribute a little bit of those feelings of stress and burnout to to COVID. I think working from home in my silo for a good chunk of COVID was obviously, like everyone would say, an adjustment. And I do think that I had gotten everything out of the role that I was in at the time. I know I mentioned this on a previous episode. So I really was starting to feel like I was running on fumes. I was working, you know, I wasn't interacting with my team as much as I was working in isolation. And that wasn't a criticism or anything. It was more just the nature of my role. I was sort of an investigator, but I was working primarily by myself on cases. So that sort of, I think, like compounded with working from home. You know, my partner doesn't work from home. So it really was just like me at home in a job that I was feeling a little bit stagnant in and 
working alone. So I really did feel like I hit burnout. And obviously studying at the same time, it does, it's so normal to feel overwhelmed and stressed. And like some days you just can't do it. I mean, I'm right at the end of my degree now, and I'm just about to enroll for my practical legal training and then you get admitted and and that's it and then you know I can wipe my hands of um any formal any additional formal education I think I've debated going and doing my master's but I think I'm going to take a chill pill and just enjoy what I've accomplished but it's I I couldn't have gotten through my double degree and working full-time without a few breakdowns. Like I have cried. I have spent nights, you know, just going, oh my God, like, was this the right decision? Should I slow down? Should I pick one? Do I need this? Like, you know, this stress because it really, it can be really overwhelming. And I think knowing how to set boundaries and have work-life balance is something that really has helped me with the combo of study and work you know, it's okay to log off on time. And, you know, when you've got a lot on your plate, don't, that something that would always contribute to burnout for me is working really, really long hours and then being still expected, you know, not by anyone else, but, you know, putting expectations on myself that I had to then study. And, you know, you'd have late nights and then, you know, any downtime you would spend thinking about it. And it was just a lot. So I would say my biggest tip to avoid burnout is to set really strong, you know, appropriate work-life balance boundaries. And that's okay. You're not a bad person for setting boundaries. As long as you're getting your job done, there's no issues with that at all. And any workplace would hopefully encourage you to do that anyway. Something a little bit lighter, I've got a question from Alicia asking about what office shoes I wear. Um, Comfort is key for me with any work shoes. I tend to buy block heels. I went through a phase very early on in my career where I would wear stilettos, like very, very tall thin heels and I would just fight through the pain. I am very much past that. Um, I'm not going to do that anymore. I tend to wear lower block heels um, that are comfortable. Sometimes I'll just flat out wear flats, which is totally fine as well. I think most of my work shoes are from, I'm trying to think about the ones that I wear really regularly. I have a few fancier ones like, you know, that are really high end, but then the ones that I tend to absolutely trash are from Boohoo, Nine West, and oh, there's another one that I wear that's really good and I can't remember where I got it from. Oh, Nasty Gal. I have all of those because to be honest, I'm I'm lucky in the sense that I do have some really, really nice shoes, but I trash shoes, particularly at work, like I'm not thinking about, you know whether or not my sh- I'm scuffing my shoes. So I tend to opt for comfort and shoes that I don't really care about getting a bit trashed, you know, walking to and from the station, you know, when you're wandering around, you don't really care. So I would opt for brands that you like, but that are sort of mid-range, more affordable, and that you don't mind getting a little bit scuffed up. I love this question. It's what is your dream work bag? And then it says the sky is the limit here. So I love that question. My dream work bag. I mean, if the sky's the limit, it's got to be a Birkin, right? I mean, 
It has to be. I would definitely. The thing about Birkins is I think I I heard on another podcast or I read it somewhere. I can't even remember that basically like having a, an Hermes Birkin bag is like such a statement because you have to have spent a certain amount of money over a certain period of time at Hermes to even be allowed to buy it if that makes sense like you can't just walk into Hermes and buy a Birkin bag I don't think you have to have like a certain I don't know spending history or you know reputation at Hermes to actually be able to buy a Birkin bag now obviously they're like 30,000 plus dollars depending on what type of Birkin you get I don't see myself ever being in a position to have the I don't see myself to to ever just walk in and buy a $30,000 plus handbag because I think I just couldn't bring myself to do it. Even if I had $30,000 to spend on a bag, I wouldn't spend it on a bag. I know that they do appreciate in value. So a lot of people do say that it is an investment because, you know, it can just sit there if you take care of it and you could resell it at a later date for a lot more money. And I think there's some truth to that. So I guess, you know, in that sense, you could see it as an investment, but I don't know if it's a work bag, like you're, you're kind of, you're not going to trash it, but you know, I wouldn't want it to be like a prized commodity that I'm going to resell in future years to come. So I don't know in fantasy land, it's a Birkin. Um, but apart from that, I don't know. I'm more, I'm more comfortable with bags that I don't have to worry too much about completely wrecking. <laughs> I have a question from Courtney asking how to make a career plan and how to become more strategic in your career moves. I think this is really interesting because I consider myself to be a super strategic person in life. I definitely, I wouldn't say like I manifest things, but I do, you know, I grew up creating vision boards and I would put a lot of energy into visualizing what I saw my life looking like, what my next steps were. I would quite literally have a one-year vision board, a three-year vision board, and a five-year vision board, and I would have it next to my bed. And I guess, you know, that is a form of manifesting, but it does feel like if I can look, touch, and feel what I want my future to be like, it really did help me to stay on track and stay motivated. I would say if you are looking to be more strategic in your career moves, really flesh out, go from, go from the furthest goal away and then work your way back. So what, what do you see yourself doing in 10 years time? And then go back and back and back and back and figure out what you should be doing tomorrow, next year, in the next three years to allow you to get there, whether it's a certain degree or an internship or networking, reaching out to people on LinkedIn, you know, trying to find someone who you look up to and admire who has those, who has that job or that role, looking at their career progression, trying to map it back to see how it fits in with yours and whether or not you can replicate some of the way that they've done it and, you know, take guidance and, you know, career advice in terms of the step-by-step from them. I think I would advise against being so strategic and rigid that you close yourself off to opportunities or career moves that are more spontaneous and that sort of come knocking on your door that you didn't factor into that plan because sometimes that can you know, open up doors that you would never have even thought to open. And that can be really exciting and rewarding as well. 
I wouldn't say that I, you know, grew up wanting the the job that I have now, but it does tick all the boxes, the field that I'm in, in terms of being a part of a bigger purpose and helping the community and preventing crime and all of that does fit. So I think just having really, even if you don't have a job in mind, being strategic about what those ultimate goals are and those sort of really important key things that need to be a part of your day-to-day. And I think going ahead and working back can be a really good way of figuring out what you need to be doing on the day-to-day to make sure that you get to that ultimate that ultimate goal. I have so many questions on wedding planning, wedding prep, I'm how to plan a wedding in brackets. I'm not getting married. I'm just interested. <laughs> I love that. Um, I don't know what else wedding wise I can talk about in the sense that we're in mid October. We're getting married early May. I think we're very much, you know, on track. I know I've said this before, but our wedding planner, Jordan, is the most incredible, organized, you know, awesome person. And she's completely relieved all of the stress that we have. Um, I think we are ticking all of our milestones. Um, it is a, such an exciting process from, you know, invitations to picking your dress, um, which I've done all of those things and, you know, getting to spend time with your bridesmaids and having all of them bond. It's really, you know, an exciting, fun time. I think the biggest tip that I've learned is, you know, it's, it's meant to be fun and exciting and I can't imagine going through this process and having it be this really stressful, you know, elephant that, you know, is really difficult and hard to navigate and, you know, causes arguments. I couldn't have a more different experience. It's been such a fun, exciting, you know, awesome thing to be able to get to plan and do and something that Tom and I can do together and, you know, our parents and our families can get excited about. So it really has been so special. I think remembering to enjoy being engaged is so important. It's so easy to get caught up in the excitement of the wedding and what's to come. And that is, you know, awesome to think about and get excited for, but just enjoying being engaged. You know, it's so fleeting and it does go so fast. We've been engaged 10 months and I can't believe how quickly it's gone, but I don't know. Wedding planning super fun. I think you know, I couldn't Pinterest more if I tried, but trying to get a clear vision of what you want your wedding to look like. We're definitely going down the Italian, Tuscan, you know, black tie, very sort of sleek European vibe wedding. And, you know, even just putting those mood boards together with our wedding planner and, you know, nutting out all of the little styling details and everything makes it feel so real and so exciting. So it really is just the most fun. I have a question saying entering the corporate world, do's and don'ts and things you wish you knew. Oh, this is a hard one to do off the cuff, but instinctively, I think particularly as a young woman, it's really easy to feel like you have to overcompensate and, you know, 
feel like you have to know everything and everyone's going to judge you if you don't know everything on every topic. And, you know, I've constantly got to prove why I'm valuable and why I'm, you know, why I should be here and, you know, that they didn't make a mistake. And I think it's a lot of imposter syndrome as well. And I think that is so unnecessary and knowing your worth, knowing that you're a valuable asset to a team. I feel this less now because I have more experience in my field. But when I first started, obviously, interning and in my first full-time role when I was, you know, 19, 20, I feel like I felt the need to constantly try and prove why they made a good decision to hire me. You know, it's okay. Like you don't need to know everything. That's the whole point of starting out. They don't expect you to know everything. I think no one's ever going to come for you for asking questions and being thoughtful and interested. And, you know, I would say sitting down for one-on-ones with your superiors and your bosses and your managers and saying, look, I want to get everything I possibly can out of this role. And I'm constantly curious and I have a love of learning and I want to grow you know, what What should I be doing to make sure that I'm, you know, ticking the boxes, let's develop, you know, some performance goals if they don't have them already and figure out what, how you can develop and grow. And rather than focusing on what you don't know, see it as a learning opportunity and that no one knows everything. And I think particularly starting out, it's so exciting to be, you know, to be surrounded by people that know more than you and, you know, subject matter experts in a field that you're clearly interested in and, you know, want to develop a career in. That's like the most exciting thing ever. I love being the dumbest person in the room. Not like the dumbest, but, you know, like it's a harsh way of describing yourself, but more just like I love being surrounded by people that are smarter than me. I think if I'm the smartest person in the room, I want to go to another room. Like I want to be surrounded by people that are going to help challenge me and teach me new things, particularly at this stage of my career, when you're young, you're working your way up, you're trying to figure out what, you know, how to fill the gaps and learn as much as you possibly can in those early stages. I mean, just be like a complete sponge. There's no need to try and convince, oh, sorry guys, I dropped my phone. There's no need to try and convince everyone that you're, you know, super clever and, you know, this is why I deserve to be here. I mean, obviously be active and engaged in your job and, you know, do the best you possibly can, but no one is judging you as harshly as you are, particularly in those early stages. So just be easy on yourself and try and block out a lot of that really negative self-talk. I've got a question on how to dress fashionably and still be taken seriously. That's also a tough one because it's just always been who I am that I didn't really care if I was overdressed or looked like I'd put in effort into my outfit or I was more done up than other people. It's just never, it's just, it's genuinely a part of who I am. And I don't really care if it's not how other people are. I would never judge someone else for not dressing the way I do or putting in, you know, as much time and effort into it. It doesn't, it shouldn't even be a factor. I just think turning up as your most authentic self should be enough. And if that's, you know, putting a bunch of effort into your hair, your makeup, your outfit, I mean, like, good for you. Like, that's great. If that's what makes you feel confident, putting effort into my 
outfits on a day-to-day is what makes me me. I love it. I love fashion. And no matter what job or environment I'm working in, it shouldn't even be an issue. And it, it never really has been. I would say earlier on in my career, I was noticeably more dressed up than other people. It never put me off. If someone is dumb enough to think that I'm somehow less motivated, intelligent, ambitious, or qualified because I'm wearing a more put together outfit than someone else. I mean, dear Lord, like what world are they living in? I think, you know, it's, and it's what you wear as an expression of yourself. And it's exciting to be experimental and have fun with fashion. And I would never, I would never put someone down because of that it's bizarre as long as you know like obviously for me like I would always want to look professional in a work environment like I'm not going to wear like a mini skirt and you know thigh high boots like I'm I'm not like I you know know the room like understand you know what's appropriate and what's not but I feel like that's fairly obvious I think and like self-explanatory whether or not something's appropriate for the workplace, depending on where you work, like, you know, the boundaries and you know, whether or not something you're wearing is crossing it. Sometimes I'll put an outfit together, put it on thinking that it's, you know, it's appropriate. And then I'll be like, Oh, this is like a little shorter than I thought, or this shows a little bit too much cleavage. You know, I would never wear like a midriff to work. That's just me. I'm not saying that isn't appropriate in other, other workplaces, or you might work in an environment where it's not a big deal to do that at all. And that's fine. If so, you know, power to you. But I just think as long as you're being professional and being yourself, you know, if you're in the the right workplace, no one should be judging you because of that. If anything, I've had the complete opposite reaction of late. You know, it's I've had people be so kind being like, where'd you get that? You know, I love that you put so much effort in, you know, it's become like a bit of a shtick and I think it's fun. And, you know, I, I will never also whether you're I don't know, I know that there's people listening to this podcast from all over the world, which is so awesome, but I know that the bulk of my listeners are in Australia and Australia is a casual culture. Like it's a really, really casual culture. We don't do glam and getting really dressed up that well, like not in the sense that we don't do it well, but more just like we don't really do it. You know, there's very few places that are really dressy and, you know, you kind of got to actively seek them out as a culture. We're casual. So, you know, nine out of 10 places I go, I'm probably overdressed, but like, I don't really care. Maybe people should get more dressed up. Maybe people should be having more fun. Like it's just not that deep, you know, just like do what feels right for you. I've got a question saying, what was your family upbringing like? Um, I would say I had an absolutely idyllic childhood. I am very, very blessed and lucky in that sense. I grew up on a farm in Barrie in New South Wales for the first part of my life. I loved it. I have very fond memories. And then I moved to Sydney for primary school um, in the eastern suburbs. And then for high school, I moved to the North Shore. Uh, My parents divorced when I was in my teenage years. They are still really good friends. Uh, It was not traumatizing whatsoever. I have a great relationship with both my parents. So in that sense, I'm very, very lucky. Um, My sister is like, you know, one of my best friends. So in that sense, I am very, very lucky. I have a super stable family unit in that sense. And I would say I have, I've, my upbringing was fantastic. I think it was just from 
my mom, like touching on my mom, she's such like a strong working woman. I grew up with her in the house, raising me, you know, doing her PhD, working as a psychologist, having her own practice. And I feel like that just made me feel like I could quite literally do anything. You know, she she did it. I had an incredible role model in the house, like as a young woman growing up. And I would say that that has been, you know, hugely impactful on, you know, my life. I have another question saying, do you have work friendships? Are they important in the workplace? Yeah, I definitely have work friendships. I'm super lucky. All the people that I work with now, um, I really, really love and I think are great. And a lot of them are women. And that's been so awesome getting to work with like really bright, kind, you know, open women has been epic. Um, In previous jobs, yeah, I've, I've definitely had like a few friends that I've gravitated towards the most. I think it definitely depends on your job. Some jobs are more social than others. I would say the role that I'm in now, I've been working on the one client for quite a while now, and we've really bonded as a team. And I think that we've all gotten quite close. And in that sense, I think friendships develop out of that. But in other roles, I've been in more isolated, you know, like I said earlier, like isolated tasks where it's a little less team based. So it can definitely be a little bit harder to develop friendships. I think particularly post COVID and during COVID with the ability to work from home or when we were like forced to work from home can definitely make, you know, bonding with people you work with a little bit more difficult. If you are more inclined to work from home, making that effort to go into the office and bond with people and being a part of that culture. Like I would encourage everyone to do that, even if it puts you out of your comfort zone, because having that kind of social connection and bonding at work really does make your job bearable during the ups and downs. You know, sometimes you will be stressed and it will be difficult and that's normal of any job. And having good relationships with people that you work with, you know, that you can go to and, and talk talk to about you know even if you are stressed or you can bond over you know a difficult task or you know it's it's important that you be as open and you know as possible and get involved in your workplace I think I probably do that way more now than I used to but I would say like a piece of advice would be I wish I'd done that a little bit earlier and tried to bond with people in my jobs a little bit more because I think I was always just so focused on the work. But as I've gotten a little bit older, I think I've realized that the relationships that you develop at work are just as, you know, valuable and important and make your job, you know, really fulfilling as well. I've got, what is your favorite holiday destination? That is really tough. Uh, I feel like I like different places for different reasons for a staycation in Sydney I love going to the crown because I have such fond memories there um I also got engaged there so I absolutely love going to the crown for a staycation overseas I'm a sucker for New York I've been many many times and I just love everything about it I also absolutely adore Washington DC I'm very politically inclined and I was always just I gravitated so much towards DC. I grew up watching the West Wing. I absolutely 
love everything about Washington. And if you are able to get to the East Coast, I would highly recommend putting that on the to-do list. I know that it's not normally on people's lists. People are more focused on like New York, which I get, but it's a, you know, two hour train right away. And it's, you know, a city that's filled with such culture and, you know, the architecture is incredible and it's just, yeah, there's awesome tours you can do. It's beautiful. Highly recommend. Um, from, I, I love Italy. Uh, I know it's, they're all kind of cliche, but I love everything about Italy. It's amazing. I think I really want to do more of Australia. I haven't done as much as I should. I've never been to WA, which is so negligent. Um, and I want to go up to Queensland again sometime soon because I just, the weather in Sydney has just really been getting me down. Not that I'm saying it's better up in Queensland, but I think the weather's always just that little bit better up in Queensland. <laughs> I'm going to end on a funny one, which is the biggest tips for Hinge, because obviously I met, I've said this in an earlier episode, but I met Thomas on Hinge. Um, I wouldn't say this is like a Hinge tip, but more of like an online dating tip is I just feel like you can't force it. I know this is so cliche, but like, you know, I, I put up this TikTok about like our engagement and I said like, thank you Hinge on it. And I had so many people comment being like, what side of Hinge are you on? Like, I think I'm on unhinged. And I was like, oh my God, lol. Like I get it. And I have so many friends that are single and, you know, are on Hinge and have just been like, I don't know what Hinge you were on, but it ain't mine. And I just think, you have to go on the journey. Like you're going to have a ton of duds on, on like when you date on any app. And I just think, you know, have a bit of fun with it. Like don't take it too seriously. You might find your husband, you might not, you know, just enjoy the process. I think if you in any, like one of my biggest pieces of advice with dating in general, like online or not is like, don't go out with the attitude of like, I'm going to find my person. It's like, you might not like just enjoy the process and you'll give off a more authentic vibe as well, rather than like being on there to like find a husband. I just don't think that that's, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's like the world's best attitude to, to go into it with, but for Hinge specifically, I remember some of the, like, cause it's like a question you can you put answers to questions and other you read other people's as well as like photos, obviously. But I think the initial instinct you get about someone is right. Like if the kind of the answers aren't quite on your vibe or, you know, just like don't even don't pay any mind to it. Just like keep moving. You know what I mean? Like there's enough people on there to just find someone that matches your energy, matches your humor. You have the same interests. Like I'm pretty sure one of mine on Hinge when I met Thomas was at the time I had a true crime podcast and I had that in one of my questions was like, what's one of your hobbies or like one of your interests? And I was like, I love true crime. I have a true crime podcast. And Thomas messaged me being like, I love true crime podcasts. Like talk me through this. And I remember being like, oh, like, you know, you have an interest straight off the bat, but it's got to be like a good one and an authentic one rather than, I don't know, something like I can't even think of an example, but you know what I mean? Like I would just see the cringiest stuff on there or like, you know, someone just took it too seriously, like have a bit of fun and hopefully you'll find someone that can actually match your energy. <laughs> Phew. 
Oof, guys, I know that was a little bit of a journey, a lot of jumping from topic to topic, but I think I am going to put in Q&As like this pretty regularly because I love doing the deep dives. But like I said, I know that there are a bunch of smaller questions that you guys want answers to. So feel free in the question boxes each week or so that I put up to put in questions that might be just one-liners. I will get to them and I always go back and screenshot ones from previous ones like I did today. So as always, head to the Kindest Regards pod Instagram to submit any questions or feedback, or if you just want to have a chat or ask for some advice, feel free to reach out. And I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your week.